My name is John, and I am one of the pastors here, and I have been wearing flannel since 1991. And I am glad that it is now back in fashion. I'm super excited. Uh, we have been in a series right now. We are, we are talking about the amazing things that Jesus says and does in the book of Matthew, uh, the things that surprise us. So the name of the series is When Heaven Sneaks Up on You. Uh, and he is certainly surprising people in, in, this, uh, in these passages that we're talking about. We're going to be in Matthew 16 today and Matthew 21. Uh, Jesus said some troubling things. Jesus said things that he was not afraid for somebody to take offense at the things that he said. I don't know that Jesus would be a good Facebook follow for anybody today. I think Jesus would probably get some angry emoticons because Jesus said some troubling things. Now, we live in this age where it used to be, hey, everybody has a right to their own opinion. And now we live in this age where, hey, everybody's opinion is right. And that's not true. That just can't happen. We don't even know how to dialogue anymore. We don't know how to talk to one another. We're masters of duologue, shouting matches where we just one-up one another and we try to see who has the loudest voice in the, in the room and who can pack the greatest punch and who can load their cannon uh, with the greatest sarcasm and wit and nail somebody between the eyes. So Jesus said some troubling things, but it wasn't about that. It was, it was always with this motivation to grab people's attention and have them listen to what he had to say. Jesus had an opinion. He said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Now, Jesus was always inclusive, right? We're going to celebrate communion later on today, and this table is about everybody coming together. It doesn't matter who you are, young, old, fat, skinny. It doesn't matter. Everybody is welcome here. Everybody gets the same portion at this table. But then he'd say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way. Not, I could talk about some truth with you. Not, hey, I could give you a happy life, chicken soup for your soul. But I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he ups the ante by saying, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Wow. Jesus had an opinion. Jesus said some troubling things. That's a line in the sand kind of a statement. Everybody has access to God through the door of Jesus. I think Jesus is still saying troubling things to us. I think he's speaking all around us in big ways, in small ways. Sometimes he whispers. Sometimes he shouts. He's speaking through television, through movies, through what we read, through the political landscape uh, through tragedy, he's, he, he's always speaking. Now, I don't think he's orchestrating tragedy to grab our attention, but certainly in the midst of tragedy, and we've seen our fair share these days, he's, he wants our attention. He wants us to turn towards him. He wants to meet us in the middle of the storm. He's always speaking, and he wants us to pay attention. And this story that begins... In Matthew 16 today is no exception. Sometimes he quizzed people to get them to lean in a little bit, hear what he had to say. Sometimes it seems like Jesus was just being ambiguous. 
so that people would lean in and say, what are you talking about? And sometimes Jesus uh, was, we might use the word provocative, not in that shock jock kind of a way, not just to ruffle feathers or make people angry, but certainly he would say things that made people go, whoa, 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 whoa. Are, are you talking about me? What, what, hold on, Jesus, what did you just say? Sometimes he would say things and it would be like a thought grenade that people would get much later. Oh, that thing he said, that's for me. So Jesus certainly was provocative. And in Matthew chapter 16, he's talking with a group of people called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The religious leaders, political leaders, they're not the only ones, but they sure get top billing in these stories in the Gospels. They show up all the time. They didn't have a a ton in common um, all the time, but they had something in common when they came against Jesus here. When you think of Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, think of two old men sitting on opposite ends of a bench talking about everything that they hate about the world. Now, this is, this is how they're approaching Jesus as they come to him. And it says that they came to him and they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. They were testing him. It's important for us to know how the approach was. They were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get him to say something dumb. They were trying to make themselves look better than Jesus. Not a road you want to go down. I sang a song in Sunday school growing up, said, uh, a Pharisee ain't Pharisee and a Sadducee is Sadducee. It took that long to get it? It Talk about thought grenades. Wow, that was awesome. He's having this conversation with them. He says, they ask for a sign. He says, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather. For the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. That whole red skies at night, sailors delight, red skies in morning, sailors take warning. They were saying that back then. He says, You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of Jonah. And Jesus often used metaphor. He told, uh, gave word pictures. He, he talked in, in parables and in stories. And the sign of Jonah, he's referring to the wayward prophet Jonah who ran away from God, who ended up in the sea, who was getting strangled by the seaweed at the bottom. A fish swallows him up, keeps him in his belly for three days, and then spits him out onto dry land. And Jesus is using this picture for the Pharisees and Sadducees and anybody else who's listening to say, something's going to happen. I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise to life. And he's always using stories like this to talk about his death and resurrection. He's always giving them signs. He has a talk with other leaders at one time, and they, they ask for a sign, and he says, tear down the temple, and I'll, I'll rebuild it in three days. And they say, what? It took four decades to build the temple. What are you talking about? You're crazy talking. But again, he was talking about his body and how he was going to die. He was going to be buried. He was going to rise to life. And so Jesus is always talking, but, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not paying attention to what he was saying at every turn. And it says, then he left them and he went away. Jesus does the mic drop? Is that what just happened? Jesus 
he just had a doozy of a statement and boom, and then he walked away? Yeah. And we, we have to leave room in our minds for what we know about Jesus for, for this kind of wit and this kind of irony and these kinds of stories and this kind of provocative talk because he was doing it all the time. Now, what Jesus is talking about here with the Pharisees and the Sadducees is religiosity, all right? And we'll get that to, to that in a moment. Uh, Jesus takes a stand against religiosity all the time. He's not a fan. But this is what happens in the next, in the next part here. When they went across the lake, that's Jesus and his disciples, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the guys he was just talking to. And they discussed it among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Now, this is hilarious. It's so easy to poke fun at the disciples because we look back and they go, how could they not get it? They're so silly. They're so dense. They're so dumb. I think I'd be exactly like them. I think he was talking about bread. If he starts talking about yeast, I'd be like, shoot, we forgot the bread. You said you were going to bring the bread, Mark. I said it on the counter, dude. You said you were going to put it in your knapsack. I'd be so consumed with myself and how Jesus thought of me at that moment, I'd totally think it was about bread. But what happens right after that is, like, Jesus hears all of this talk going on in the boat, and he's like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm right here. I can hear what you're saying. And how is it that you think I'm talking about bread? And he's got their attention. And he reminds them of a little thing that some might call a miracle that happened not too long before that, where there was a little tiny bit of bread and just a few fish, and Jesus fed thousands of people. So he says, guys, how is it that that just happened and you think that I'm upset about you not bringing bread? And then they understood he wasn't telling them to be on guard against the yeast used in bread, doy. You don't get a lot of doy these days. But against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees who were so consumed with one-upping Jesus that they were not paying attention. The uber-religious, the people who are always trying to make themselves look good. Well, what happens when you put too much yeast in bread? People made this wonderful bread for communion. I love that people are making the bread that we get to use in communion. Here, there's a team that does this. It's beautiful. If you put too much yeast in this bread, it explodes. It doesn't go well. There was a story just a couple of years ago. This beer was becoming really famous in Portland, and they they signed this distribution deal, and they were so excited to ship their beer all over, and they bottled it up, and every bottle exploded in the bottles in transit because somebody made a little mistake with the recipe. And Jesus says, be on guard against what these guys are doing because something's going something's gonna to blow up in your face if you do this. Look at, your, look at what's going on inside your own heart. Don't be, don't be so consumed with other people. Man, we're still learning this lesson today. 
Uh, one of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey, has a great quote about how we look at other people and, and, and our own religiosity. And he says, uh, we're going to put it up here. He says, uh, Christians get very angry. They get very angry toward other Christians who sin differently than they do. Isn't that true? And not only from like Jesus follower to Jesus follower, we just get mad at everybody who's doing things just a little bit different than our awful yuckiness without taking time to look at our own doo-doo. That's Greek. You want to make Jesus mad... Be concerned about others' waywardness more than your own. Story goes on. He's with his disciples, and they come to the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he asks his disciples a question here. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, this is what's going on at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a place that's it's up against the rocks. There's a stream that flows out of it. This freshwater stream comes out of the rocks, and it feeds the Jordan River. And what was happening here at Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus is standing with his disciples when he asked them this question, what's happening at Caesarea Philippi is it's a, it's a place where, where bad things are happening. People are worshiping the god Pan here, and they're, they're making sacrifices to the god Pan Pan is the guy with, the, with like the goat legs and plays the, you got it, pan flute. That's where it comes from. Peter Pan comes from the god Pan, by the way. doesn't mean you can't watch the movies. And they're standing there, and Jesus begins to talk to them. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. He says, way to go. You are paying attention. You are paying attention to the signs around you. And this is how you came to this conclusion about who I am. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And I'll tell you what, you are Peter. He gives him a new name. His name was Simon. Now his name is Peter. He says, I'm giving you a new name, Peter. And the name Peter, by the way, means rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Caesarea Philippi, where they were doing these sacrifices, where they were worshiping the the god Pan, you know what people called it? They called it the gates of Hades. And Jesus is using a word picture here. They thought that this water, as it, as it came out of the rocks, that it was the, the gateway to the underworld. They literally thought it was the gates of hell. And so Jesus uses this word picture as he's standing there with his back against this, this mountain landscape. And he says, what you say about me is very true. And I am going to do something amazing on this statement that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. I am going to create a movement. And you guys are going to be part of it. And guess what? The gates of hell are not going to stand against it. And then he goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
saying, guys, because you're paying attention, because you recognize who I am, nothing is going to come, nothing can stop the church. If you're anchored in me, we're going to do amazing things. And not only are the gates of hell not going to come against you and stand against you, you're going to storm the gates of hell. And this is the conversation that's happening as they're around Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you're Peter on this day, at this point in the day, you're feeling so good. Because you just got a right answer from Jesus. Like, when I was growing up in Sunday school, I used to love getting the right answer. Because my teacher gave me a sticker. You got stickers when you got the right answer. And I liked the sticker. It felt so good when I got the right Sunday school answer. And this is what's happening with Peter. He got the sticker. You know what? I'm almost 50 years old, and I still like getting the sticker. I have a friend who, who is a speaker, and, and I go sit with him about once a year, and my friends get with him, and he's got this little thing where he tries to draw things out of you as you walk through Scripture, and, and he's always talking to us, and he's got this thing he does where if you get the answer he was looking for, he looks at you, and he says, bingo. I'm almost 50, and I love to get the bingo. I'm with my friends in the room when Len is talking, and we're on our phones. I got the bingo. So Peter gets his bingo sticker. Now, I don't know how much time goes by before the next thing happens, but Peter's day hinges at this point. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And by the way, remember, he's been telling them this all along through word pictures and metaphor and story and just outright telling them. Now, Peter with a sticker on his flannel, walks up to Jesus and he says, never, Lord. The Bible says he began to rebuke Jesus. Uh, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Not on my watch. I got your back. I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen. And Jesus so kindly, so softly, that's sarcasm, by the way, says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Whoa. Bingo sticker, one minute. Oh, no. That's not the right answer. And Jesus, at this moment, it's like you, can, you have this flashback to Caesarea Philippi where they're, they're standing there, and Peter, at once, he has, this, he has this, this revelation that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, because he was paying attention. But he wasn't paying attention to anything else at that moment. And Jesus gives him the smackdown. It's a different kind of religiosity. We saw the religiosity of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're trying to trap him, trying to one-up him, and now there's a whole different thing. Look, if you want to make Jesus mad, then you speak and act like you know more than him. Fun stories, yeah? All right. We're going to move over to chapter 21. Chapter 21 
starts off that uh, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. That's what we call it now. Uh, it's, uh, so uh, before he's crucified, just a few days before he's crucified and, and comes back to life, he's riding into Jerusalem. This is the scene. Maybe you've heard it where he comes into town on a donkey. People are laying down palm branches. They're shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a huge party. He's riding into town in, in a very kingly manner. Right? So Jesus didn't come as a king in the way that they thought he was, the Messiah was going to come as a king, but he certainly did all these kingly things. And he comes into town as a king, and they're shouting these things to him, and Jesus goes right to the temple. And here at the temple, people were flocking from all over to offer sacrifices and, and to worship God, to worship Yahweh in this place. Everybody's coming here. And Jesus goes into the temple, and it says in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now, what's going on here? The people who were coming to the temple uh, that traveled from far, these pilgrims, these poor pilgrims coming from the far ends of the earth to the temple, making this pilgrimage, they didn't travel with animals to sacrifice, but they knew sacrifices had to be made. And when they got there, they would purchase the animals. And the establishment, the man, had come in and set up a system outside the temple in the court of the Gentiles to offer animals for them for purchase good system, except they were, they were way overcharging people, price gouging. And these poor pilgrims are having to buy these super expensive sacrifices. And not only that, they couldn't even use the money that was their own currency. When they got to the temple, they had to exchange it. That's why they're called the money changers. They had to use that system's money. And when we got there, there was, there was a price to exchange the money. And so they're getting gouged twice. Get your sheep here, get your pigeons here. And they have to exchange the money. And Jesus is upset. But you know what else is happening here? This place where they had set all of this up, where they're robbing people, was the court of the Gentiles. And here, everybody was supposed to be able to have access to the temple. You didn't have to be Jewish here in the court of the Gentiles. Everybody had access. And so Jesus is mad, yes, that people are getting robbed of their hard-earned cash, but he's also mad that the establishment is robbing access to God. And he does not take kindly to that. If you want to see Jesus get mad... You disregard the outcast and the less fortunate. Here's another story in chapter 21. I love this over in verse 18. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but he found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. And when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Again, with the disciples, right? I mean, like, the, like but I'd be, in the same, I'd be in the same boat, seeing a hundred miracles by Jesus, and I'd still be going, how did he do it to the tree? 
And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and you don't doubt, not only can you do what's done to that fig tree, but also say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and it will be done. And if you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And we're supposed to kind of have this, this bookend here. We're supposed to go back to the story in Caesarea Philippi and this, and this statement that Jesus made about loosing things on heaven and earth and, and the gates of hell not standing against his church and, and great things happening. And Jesus is saying, you guys, if you have just a little bit of faith, you would understand that this is not a big deal, that you could do many more amazing things, and I want you to do more amazing things for me. I have an orange tree in my backyard, corner of my yard. It's one of my favorite trees. It's really pretty. We've got some twinkle lights in it. My wife planted a garden over by the orange tree. It's really cool. Except it doesn't make oranges. It doesn't do the thing that it's supposed to do. And it mocks me. Last season, it made one orange. And like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree with like one orangement hanging on it. It's, it's just right there and it laughs at me. And all the trees in my neighborhood laugh at it. They're making so many oranges, they're throwing them at the ground while they laugh at my tree. And kids are going up and down the alley and they're picking up oranges and using them as hand grenades and laughing and frolicking in the autumn mist while my tree sits there with one stupid little orange on it. I didn't even pick it last season because I was so mad at it. I didn't even want to eat it. I was like, I'm not going to eat you because you're just sitting there. Somebody last, I told the story just an hour ago and somebody said, I'm a tree doctor. I'm going to come fix your orange tree. Hallelujah. I love it. It's fantastic. I won't ever be able to tell the story in a message again, but that's besides the point. And what's what was happening with my tree, what's happening with my tree and what was happening with the fig tree are the same thing. Jesus is upset and curses the tree because it's taking all of its energy to look good. My tree looks wonderful, but it's dumb. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. We are the fig tree. We're the orange tree. What Jesus is mad about here is that he doesn't want his church to not be fruitful. This is what he's saying to his disciples. is like, man, I want the kind of church that is so deeply rooted in who I am And that thing you said, Peter, about me being the Christ and the son of the living God, I want you guys to move mountains, not make one stupid orange. Not do enough to make one dumb little fig newton. Hmm. My friend says that Jesus came empty-handed, dirty-handed, and open-handed. Man, I love that. 
holding things loosely, willing to give everything away, willing to roll up his sleeves and, and, and do something that actually matters. We talk here at Lakeside about being on a mission, uh, a transformation mission, making ourselves available to be transformed and to transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. Not orange trees, not, not fig trees. But a church that it actually makes a difference. You guys, we're, we're supposed to see ourselves in this story, in all of these stories. We're supposed to go, oh, shoot. Am I the Pharisee and the Sadducee? Am I the uber-religious? Am, am I the one that's trying to, to be better and point the finger at everyone else? And, and Oh, shoot. Am I the one who sometimes gets the right answer, but it, then I say something so stupid and pretend like I, I know more than God? Am I, am I that person? Oh, man, am I the one that's keeping people at bay and not giving them access to God? Is that me? Do I have tables in my life that need to be overturned? And am, I, am I a dumb orange tree or a fig tree? Here's the great thing about God that um, all of this is, is motivated by love. My dad, before he would take his belt off and whip my behind, would say, uh, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Yeah, he was a liar. <laughs> that thing hurt. But I think in, in, the, in the case of what Jesus is doing here, that yeah, that is absolutely true, that he's, he's trying to, to grab our attention. And sometimes right, we have to leave room for Jesus to say some harsh things. Sometimes heaven does sneak up on us, and sometimes it sneaks up on us and gives us the holy back end. But then he says, now that I've got your attention, I want you to be part of something special, right? And that's what this is all about. This is, a, this is a picture. This is a metaphor. This is an image of what Jesus wants for his people. Everybody, no matter who you are, coming to this table, getting the same portion, rooted in who he is, the Christ, the son of the living God. And this isn't the end. This is a beginning. We come here and then we go out. We're passionate and we're productive. My friend Eric, just a few weeks ago, passed away. Uh, I went up to his memorial up in, in Grass Valley. Grew up with Eric. He, his family has a legacy with my family. His, his mom and dad uh, led my mom and dad to Jesus. His grandma led me to Jesus before my parents came to Jesus. Like, it's a, it's a crazy story. And, and, and Eric, I remember him as this young boy, you know, really uh, in love with Jesus. And then for a few years, uh, I lost track with Eric uh, because he was in prison and I was not. And um, Eric made some bad choices. He paid for those things. I go to his memorial, and man, my, my world was rocked when story after story, people were telling about how in prison, and just as he got out of prison, God snuck up on him and grabbed his attention. And he dedicated the rest of his life to telling people about Jesus and this one guy stood up, and um, he was in gangs. He had hurt people, and he told this story about how when he was in prison with Eric, he was in a fight, and he was just punching some guy's lights out. 
trying to make the guy forget he ever had a face. And Eric, who was a bigger dude than this big dude, came from behind him and grabbed him and drug him off to the side and sat him down, got him cooled down. And he said, man, you are a good fighter. The guy said, yeah, you bet I am. And he said, but man, you are, you are fighting the wrong fight. You must be super tired of this fight. There's a different fight that's going on in your soul. Do you mind if I tell you that story? And he began to tell this guy about how there was a fight for his soul and an enemy wanted to take, uh, take control of him and actually had a pretty good grip on him right then. But, but Jesus wanted to set him free from that. And that guy in prison gave his life to Jesus, started following him, and now, through tears, he told us just a few weeks ago that he has dedicated his life to keeping kids out of prison. At this table, gangbangers are welcome. And then yesterday, I went to another memorial service for a sweet, beautiful 19-year-old girl, one of our own, Maddie Elliott. Um, a few years ago when we lived in Folsom, a few years ago before we moved away and came back, we, my kids grew up next to Maddie just a couple doors down. I remember her as this sweet, sweet little kid. And then coming back to Lakeside in the last couple of years, seeing her and the beautiful things uh, she was doing and the, the gorgeous young woman she had become, it was just so amazing to see. And I heard story after story yesterday from these kids who were talking about how Maddie had told them about Jesus, spoken to them. Now, she was pure as the driven snow. She was an angel, you know. Angels are welcome at this table. Gangbangers and angels, everybody in between. And this is a level, this is a leveling field. And Jesus, before he died, he had this famous prayer in John 17 where he's saying, I want all my people to be in unity with one another, to recognize who I am and who they are in me and the things that can be done through them. That's what this thing is about. So when we come to this table, he said, this is my body, this is my blood, when we come here, we do this in remembrance of him. This is, this is to give us a time out to say, okay, Jesus, you got my attention. I remember. I remember. 